to ECHO, the Ending Community Homelessness Coalition, an estimated 3,160 people were experiencing homelessness in Austin when they made their latest count in 2021, a number that has likely grown in the months since then. I'm audio reporter Ava Garderay, and this is the series Unhoused, a special report from the Daily Texan Audio. In two episodes, this series will touch on leading causes of homelessness, government efforts like Prop B, and government-level solutions, as well as reflections of volunteers and the hopes for their community in the upcoming years. This is episode one, Not a Quick Fix. Greatest challenges in Austin to help people exit homelessness are tied to the challenges in your local rental housing market. Your rents are too high and you don't have sufficient number of places for people to actually move in. That was Barbara Pop, who served as the executive director of the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness under the Obama administration. Barbara shared her knowledge on some of the key barriers faced by the homeless, painting a picture of the consequences of the limited and expensive housing supply on the more disadvantaged members of our community. She explained homelessness using the analogy of a game of musical chairs. And over the last 10 years, you've had fewer and fewer chairs and you've had more people join the game. So there is nowhere for people to go. And that presents the greatest challenge. That's both the cause of homelessness, but addressing that is also the way to solve for homelessness. Individuals who are most likely to not have a chair in my little analogy are individuals who've suffered um, from racial inequities, from trauma uh, and other challenges kind of in your economic, your economy. So they, they may be working, but they don't make enough money. They're not working a consistent job that provides consistent hours, or it could be uh, they're at a time in their life where, um, you know, it's a mother who's pregnant and she can't continue to go to work. She's delivering a baby, but there, um, there isn't anyone to pay the rent. And then she becomes homeless because she can't pay the rent and she can't She's going to be able to pay the rent and get out of homelessness until she's able to go back from um, from the pregnancy, from you know recovering from the postpartum, getting back to work. Um, but then she might have lost her housing, and it makes it harder to find it. So there are many factors at the individual level that compound it, but largely it's a structural issue where you have an insufficiency of places for people to live. And those places to live are getting more expensive, and there's more competition for them. If you have lived in Austin for more than a few months, you've likely heard of Proposition B. Homelessness is out of control, and people don't feel safe in the city. Proposition B will restore citywide laws banning public camping and panhandling. Join Governor Abbott in supporting Proposition B. Let's bring Austin back. That was a campaign ad funded by Greg Abbott in April of 2021. Proposition B, or Prop B, was an anti-homeless policy approved by a majority of Austin voters last May, making it a criminal offense for anyone to sit, lie down, or camp in public areas, and prohibiting solicitation of money or other things of value at specific hours and locations. According to a few unhoused individuals I spoke to, the city basically outlawed being homeless by making every element of life as a homeless person suddenly illegal. Emily Seals is a director at the nonprofit Open Door, which serves a large group of homeless out of the parking lot of the United Methodist Church near campus every Sunday. She describes the ways in which Prop B was an inhumane policy approach to ending homelessness. You know, in short, it really places the blame on people experiencing homelessness rather than recognizing that homelessness 
is multiple failures of our society and not the result of um, of individual choice or individual decisions. So what that has looked like is there have been, and there are ongoing uh, sweeps or cleanups that happen in various in, encampments under various properties under you know various overpasses. And when when those cleanups happen or those sweeps happen, individuals are not provided with any resources. So there was no housing attached to property. There were no resources. There was no, no increased, you know, efforts for for providing services. Um, it was, you know, just all, all it really boiled down to was like, you can't be here and we don't have anywhere else for you to be. So um, individuals have moved out, um, you know, further away from sort of the core of the city where most of the services are offered, most of the services are offered in the downtown area. Emily pointed out that when individuals are pushed further into the outskirts, it makes it difficult for not only outreach programs supplying food and hygiene, or EMS, to reach them, but also for case managers, who are doing crucial work with their clients to find supportive housing. Barbara seemed to agree with Emily's take on Prop B, adding that this kind of broad sweeping policy is illogical and ineffective in the long term. In Austin and in any other community that enforces laws against people who have to live outside and are trying to survive doing, you know, activities of base, basic living. They have nowhere to sleep. They have nowhere to use the bathroom. They can't shower. They're unable to, to rest or to sit. Um, and seeking care is really challenging when the response to that is either you have to move along or if you don't move along, we're going to give you a, um, you know, a fine or a fee, um, or we're gonna uh, strongly encourage if you, uh, if you don't take advantage of those, you're, we're actually gonna arrest you. So any communities that adopt that, uh, it doesn't have a positive impact on reducing homelessness. It simply moves homelessness from one place to the other. Barbara emphasized the additional loss of contact with caseworkers who might have been helping them in an important stage of transition and says that there is a huge psychological impact involved in that traumatic forced relocation. When an individual repeatedly experiences these sweeps, they become more and more mistrustful of the people like caseworkers who are actually trying to help them. And the process of support and assistance is set back by many steps. So it's a very reactive approach to homelessness. It doesn't offer any solutions. Um, it's, you know, it, it becomes popular because there is some myth that the reason people are homeless is because they want to be, and the individuals don't want to be living on the street, but they absolutely have no options. Communities might say, well, it looks better. It may be that in their immediate neighborhood, they have seen um, the disappearance of those encampments but they probably have just moved to a different neighborhood and are less visible to the public or they're less visible to them because they're out of their neighborhood. Therefore, the problem, my problem is solved because you're no longer in my neighborhood. Uh, but as a reality for the city writ large, it doesn't solve um, in any way uh, for homelessness. Barbara added that sometimes the community's outlook on solving human issues are limited by what is considered undesirable for housed residents who are enjoying a comfortable lifestyle and who often suffer from NIMBYism, an acronym for Not In My Backyard. As you mentioned earlier, NIMBY can be an issue um, in folks um, may uh, desire that um, 
homelessness eradicated, but they don't want to be part of the solution. And I think that's a really challenging situation. And we see this in liberal and progressive communities. It's not just conservative communities that um, struggle uh, with providing sufficiency of places for people to be and across the community, not um, forcing folks to be in a single small uh, jurisdiction, you know, small part of your jurisdiction, but really fully integrated into the community. So if Prop B is unjust and ineffective, what are some approaches that can be taken on the policy level that will actually result in positive change for all members of our community? Emily discussed some specific areas in need of improvement, emphasizing the way that Austin has handled the cold weather shelter system in the last couple of years. Although I can't really speak to if there's been a policy proposal around that, I would say that that's an area of advocacy for both UUMC, Open Door Advocates, and other advocates working in this field or serving in this field is to really advocate for a more calendar-based cold weather shelter and for there to be funding from our city to provide cold weather shelter. Um, I'm not sure what funds are being used currently, but city council has approved zero funding to run the cold weather shelters. So the services that are offered are extremely basic, not person-centered, and um, the community doesn't know until the day of if a cold weather shelter will be um, implemented for that evening. So it's extremely hard just to you know share the information with a population that is so spread out over the city and you know more difficult to engage with because of Prop B. Emily also serves on the Austin Travis County Homelessness Response System Leadership Council, which she says has also been taking a more collaborative approach in its work with Homeless Solutions. The council is certainly working um, toward advocating with city leaders and city council. We have we have sent in a letter regarding the cold weather shelter, and we also has put a lot of emphasis on um, integrating and centering the voices of people with lived experience on every level of decision making, from work groups to committees to the council itself. So. Um, we have certain like thresholds for both people's lived experience and equity advocate, advocates to be represented on every um, level of decision making. Emily then dove into one of the most significant approaches to supporting the homeless community at large, an increase in affordable and supportive housing options. So some of our main programs um, in our homelessness response system are permanent supportive housing and rapid rehousing. So permanent supportive housing is generally for people with more vulnerabilities and the support that they receive um, for their housing assistance is permanent as well as a case management assistant and wraparound services. So really an increase in permanent supportive housing would be um, you know, as an area of advocacy. She reiterated the importance of fighting against NIMBYism in our community. In Austin, landlords can choose not to rent to individuals who have housing housing vouchers through the housing authority, which is very limiting. Advocates have also been working with um, the local housing authority and, and other housing entities to really look at um, criminal background histories and the barriers that we can um, start removing related to you know, like really, you know, minor misdemeanor type offenses and, you know, even other offenses, shortening look back periods and really like 
working to get people housed rather than creating more barriers so that they can't, can't be housed. Barbara, under President Obama's administration, led the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness and founded Opening Doors, the federal government's first ever comprehensive plan to prevent and end homelessness. According to Barbara, the plan had four ambitious goals, to end chronic homelessness, homelessness for veterans, homelessness for youth and families, and then for single adults. So in the time frame that I was with the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness, we were able to reduce veterans homelessness by about a half. And that came about because we had significant new investment in housing and services and a better coordinated approach to addressing veterans homelessness. We believe that provides a proof point that if we want to end all forms of homelessness, we need to make those similar levels of investment and adopt these similar types of strategies to really address homelessness. Like Emily, Barbara emphasized the importance of housing as a source of support and a starting point for upward mobility for disadvantaged and homeless members of our community. Housing is a structural history in our country and there are racial disparities in who experiences homelessness because our housing system has been very racist with redlining and um, eviction processes that target um, black and indigenous households. So there's a lot of structural issues that need to be addressed if we want to address um, homelessness in the long term. The work that, that we did as a, a team of consultants with Austin um, put together a set of recommendations to improve the way um, serving services and housing were delivered and also pointed the way toward new investment to expand the supply of affordable rental housing, in particular housing that's targeted for folks with the greatest challenges, those who experience long-term repeated episodes of homelessness or chronic homelessness. Although this episode has inarguably been focused on a bit of a sober topic, Barbara has a reason to believe that we can find optimism in the future of the homeless situation, from both a personal grassroots level and a policy systems approach. She commented that one of the biggest challenges in our community today is finding willing landlords with open units and organizations willing to help people access the housing market. However, she was excited that recently we have been seeing leaders step up to participate in this broad community effort. There was a summit that was um, offered in your community, which came out with some really strong recommendations. Um, and what's really exciting to me is that there, um, the recommendations from that summit are making impacts. The uh, core strategy that came out of the summit was the importance of uh, re, uh, rehousing people from unsheltered settings. And there was a substantial investment from local government and philanthropy over the last few months to make that happen. Um, so they are making progress. Um, the progress is not, uh, the pace of rehousing is actually slower than they had hoped for. So the time frame to achieve the summit goals is gonna take a little bit longer than they ambitiously did, but the progress is happening. Join us in episode two of the series Unhoused, Helping Hands, to hear more about our stigmas around homelessness, the challenges of volunteering during COVID, and the volunteer experience in general, as well as the importance of college-age students contributing to the efforts to help the homeless community. Music by Ethan House and Mulrider. For The Daily Texan, I'm Ava Garderay.